The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the OCD and Anxiety podcast by Robert James Coaching. Uh, First off, I just wanted to say thank you for the uh, positive comments that I've been receiving and also for the suggestions of uh, topics and areas that you guys would like me to cover uh, during this podcast. So I am definitely listening and uh, we will be covering some of those topics uh, in the coming weeks. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Paula Friedman. Uh, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in Chicago, Illinois, where she treats adults with anxiety, addictions, and eating disorders, uh, runs body image groups, provides psychological testing, and oversees the training and supervision for clinical psychology graduate students working in her practice. She is also the author of the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Powerful Skills for Preventing Relapse Every Day. Dr. Paula enjoys using mindfulness practices to help her clients connect to their inner wisdom and feel more at home in their minds and bodies. To know more about Dr. Paula, you can check out her website, www.humankindpsych.com. You can find her on Instagram at mindful.drpaula. And I will also put in the show notes a link to her book. I think it's a really helpful conversation Being a mindfulness specialist that works with people with anxiety disorders, Dr. Paula goes into loads of detail about how you can use mindfulness in in different ways for dealing with anxiety. Um, We look at obsessive compulsive disorder, we look at um, panic, we look at generalized anxiety, and she, she gives us loads of different skills and techniques that we can start applying to manage all of those problems in a, in a better way. So I really hope you enjoy it and many thanks. Okay, so welcome to the podcast, Dr. Paula. Thank you. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. And thanks for, thanks for coming on. So um, first question, why did you decide to become a psychologist? Um, well, it was definitely something I stumbled into, you could say. I've, I've always been a very... Um, kind of a naturally sensitive person, an empath, somebody who like feels my feelings very deeply and intensely. Um, that was always kind of my normal. I never knew that, that, that some, not everybody felt their feelings this much, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I originally actually wanted to be a journalist um, and I went to college, I studied communications. Um, so I also enjoy writing and, and telling people's stories and getting to know people. I find that that humans are fascinating. Um, yeah. And then I actually um, had my own personal experience in therapy, uh, working with a, a psychologist. And um, this was during college. And right. it, it was like this, this light bulb went off. I was like, 
oh, wow, actually, actually, this is what I need to be, this is what I'm meant to be doing. It really is like my calling. It's funny now looking back, um, having then changed course and gone to graduate school for uh, clinical psychology, and now that's what I'm doing all day, every day. Like, it's funny looking back that I never knew this was my path because I really, I can't picture doing anything else. So it's pretty wild, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's great that you kind of really had that clear calling and you really worked it out. Like, were you still like fairly young when you when you realized that? Yeah, I was. Um, it was too late in my in my college career to to change um, majors. Like, so I, I yeah. still, you know, completed my coursework in the communications, but um, it wasn't too. I, I I feel very fortunate that I discovered it at that point and not later in life, you know, after having a career in another field, because I think it would have been a lot harder to change course and have the motivation to go back to school. And, you know, so I, I discovered it early enough that I was able to then apply to some graduate schools and and change course right then and there before I even started a career. So I do okay, feel yeah, very right. yeah, yeah. lucky in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, why did you decide to specialize in anxiety? Um, so that also kind of happened organically. I, um, just kind of to share like some personal background on a personal level, like in addition to being a, a big feelings feeler my whole life, I also have struggled with anxiety from a very young age, um, kind of manifested in different ways. Um, but I never really went into this field being like, I want to, specialize in this thing that I've gone through, you know, um, I actually, most of my training during graduate school was in, um, working with addiction and co-occurring disorders. And so when I, when I first went into private practice, that was where I started off was with, um, working with substance use disorders, but I ended up also because I was, you know, starting a new business, I took whoever walked in the door. Uh, and so I ended up with a variety of people and um i started to notice that i the the people that i really connected the best with and that i was the most effective in my in treating were anxious somewhat you know kind of control seeking people high achievers perfectionists um people with various forms of obsessive compulsive disorder or just you know the purely obsessive uh ocd that type of thing um yeah And so, yeah, so then I was like, okay, well, if this is who I work the best with and I enjoy working with the most, then I'm going to build a specialty in this area. And I still do a lot of work with addiction and as well as with um, like eating disorders and disordered eating. And and there's anxiety kind of woven into everything (laughs) with everybody. Absolutely, there is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, just about everybody experiences anxiety at one time in their life. Exactly. um, yeah, but it's really interesting that you you work with addiction as well, and um, I'd be really interested in asking you, like, what do you think the the link is between anxiety and addiction problems? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so I guess the first thing that I would want to clarify here too is that, like you were saying before, anxiety is such a normal, like, natural part of the human experience that everybody mm. experiences, and that there's, there's anxiety. And then there's, I guess, like clinical anxiety, right, which is when it's problematic. And I think that the thing that makes anxiety, like an anxiety disorder, 
problematic is the same thing that makes something an addiction, if that makes sense, which is like the, the things you do in response to the feelings. So yes. like, yeah, so so really, I, I view them through the same lens that like they're about, I know you're, you're a big act person, except as yeah. a commitment therapy, <laughs> that, that, that the phenomenon is the same, that people try yeah. to instinctively like kind of solve what they're feeling inside by avoiding or controlling and with anxiety the avoiding and controlling shows up as like obsessive worrying fixating planning right like going down internet rabbit holes trying to research every little thing right like trying to create certainty where there's no certainty and then with addiction the avoiding and controlling shows up as using alcohol, using drugs, using whatever behavioral addiction you might be using to try to manipulate what you're feeling inside. Mm. So, so, so we kind of the same, same end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with addiction, it's just another way to, to, you know, to try to control the anxiety that the, the people are experiencing. Yeah, exactly. And it's not always anxiety. Like, it, I don't think it's always that somebody who develops an addiction, let's say with alcohol is necessarily trying to cope with anxiety they might be trying to cope with another unwanted emotion but mm -hmm. it, it kind of the be, the behavioral response kind of shows up in the same way is that making sense the way absolutely i, I mean yeah it could be so many things it could be uh, low self-esteem issues it could be mm -hmm. you know like depression it could be um mm -hmm. a breakup that causes you to kind of like you know like kind of suddenly become addicted to something right, so, yeah, right. it could so be trauma things. yeah yeah grief or, or yeah, yeah a, a a million different things. And it's not even always something I think you could point to and be like, this was the thing. I think sometimes it's a series of events or just sort of the, like the natural tendencies that some people have to turn towards, you know, avoidance or control. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. That's great. And uh, having uh, had a quick look at your um, your Instagram account, I noticed that you you work a lot with mindfulness and mindfulness is something that certainly interests me a lot. So I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about that. So in your practice, can you tell us a little bit more about about mindfulness and, and how you incorporate it into your work? Sure. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite things ever. It's, my Instagram handle is mindful Dr. Paula as a result. Um, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's definitely having a moment right now. Mindfulness, I think it's it's kind of trendy. Uh, I would say, Absolutely uh, it is. yeah, yeah, very much a buzzword. And so, um, so I think that's awesome in a lot of ways because it's it's becoming a thing that more people are learning about. But um, for me, I never. So again, going back to like my personal experience, I like I said have been had anxiety kind of in different iterations throughout my life. And looking back now that I know what mindfulness is, I can see that there, the times that I've experienced some relief from anxiety has have been times where I've been very absorbed in something, whether it's, you know, traveling and like seeing something new and being very present in that in my surroundings or being really engaged in a good book or being in a yoga class where I'm very focused on how I'm moving my body. Um, and I never knew until I went to graduate school and took a course in mindfulness meditation that that, that was the power of being present. Yeah, that's it, what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I never was like a formal meditator. Um, mm. But as part of this class that I took, I was required to do regular 
meditations and I was very against it at first. And then eventually it grew on me and now it's something I do every day in some way, shape or form. And I just, I really get, I get a lot out of like a lot of reward from making it accessible to more people, not necessarily meditation, but mindfulness as, as sort of a way of life of like helping people who are very against like being in the present moment, learn to come to terms with it and welcome it and see the value in using mindfulness in their everyday life and in as a way of managing whatever unwanted feelings are coming up or whatever thoughts are happening or whatever situation where they don't feel able to control things. You know, I think it's kind of the antidote to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I, t I totally agree. I mean, for me, like uh, mindfulness is is the absolute dream uh, thing to deal with uh, anxiety problems because when you come into the present moment, when you focus on the now, like you you can't be in the future worrying about things, you can't be in the past. You know, it's it's the way to deal with uh, anxiety in a really a really helpful and a really positive way. And uh, it's kind of, for me, it's like a, a philosophy of, of how to kind of live your life. And uh, it was probably the most important thing I learned about when I was kind of really dealing with my anxiety. Uh, the key word for me was acceptance, because mm -hmm. at that time I couldn't accept anxiety at all. I was just fighting with it and pushing it away. And as we know, when you resist something, you make it stronger. And um, mm -hmm. Uh, what you my, resist persists <laughs> yeah absolutely and yeah that was that's what was happening for me for for years and years and years but um I've got another question related to mindfulness um because it's so popular now do you think that that mindfulness is becoming like a, a bit of a victim of its own success because sometimes I kind of like I hear some people kind of going oh no not mindfulness I don't mm. want to do that and, you know, it's uh, it's a bit of a shame because it's so helpful. But, become, you know, when, when something becomes so popular, there's always a kind of uh, a revolt almost against that super popular thing. And people don't want to do it anymore. And I think yeah. that's beginning to happen a little <laughs> bit with mindfulness, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I think. That's what I was trying to get. You just completely that named what I mm. was thinking that, like, it is a shame. It's unfortunate because I think it's the best thing ever. But I do think that, yeah, there's almost this like kind of cults like uh, vibe around it. And at times mm -hmm. that turns people off. And yeah. I used to uh, do groups with uh, men who were in recovery from uh, opioid dependence. And I would say at the beginning, because I used a lot of mindfulness in there, what if, what do you know about mindfulness? Like who's heard this word before? And everyone would kind of groan and be like, oh, it's all we ever talk about. And I'd say, okay, but what is it? And nobody <laughs> could tell me what it was. It was yeah. like, we know everyone talks about it all the time. Mindfulness, use mindfulness for this and that. But nobody actually teaches us what it looks like in action. And, and I think that that's true for a lot of trendy type of things is that like they lose their value because you just are so busy promoting their like the things that they offer and it, it's like well let's instead let's just break down what it looks like and then you can decide if it's something you want to try or not 
Yeah, yeah, I, I really get that. It's like when you're kind of on um, Instagram and you're constantly seeing things about be mindful or mm. just accept your anxiety like all the time. And it's like, well, yeah, that's great. But like, how on earth do you actually do that? Like practical, practical information that you can actually use on a day to day basis is is what people want and need. And and actually, like if you're just hearing like be mindful all the time that's mm-hmm. that may be counterproductive because it's just going to end up annoying you maybe I don't know yeah I think so or or yeah you kind of have this like eye roll reaction to it where it's mm. like yeah I know I get it but I'm not actually going to try that because it's so cliche and yeah 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 over, overrated I don't know yeah okay um we're going off off topic a little bit well we, we're still kind of more or less there <laughs> Could you, could you could you give me like uh like just off the top of your head like a like a, a practical uh tip for, for applying like mindfulness to like a situation where you're you're experiencing anxiety yeah well i think that first it helps to start in situations where you're not experiencing anxiety like where you're maybe feeling more neutral or calm or even where you're having enjoyable emotional experiences, joy, pleasure, that sort of thing, um, yeah. which is why, like like I was saying before, my own experience, it would really happen for me when I was doing something pleasant, when I was, you know, traveling and sightseeing or on a sunny day laying on the beach or it's a lot easier to be mindful in those situations. Um, but when it comes to teaching it, I'll often have people start with something kind of habitual that they're already doing every day, like brushing their teeth or taking a shower. And those are situations that most people aren't particularly feeling strong feelings about doing those activities. And mm. that's a good time to really get in touch with each of the five senses. What if, as I'm brushing my teeth, can I listen to the sound of the toothbrush on my teeth? Can I uh, taste the flavor of the toothpaste? Can I smell the minty smell of the of the toothpaste can I watch the foam watch the water going down the drain so like really connecting to what you're experiencing there and then you can try it in a situation where maybe you're where you're feeling anxiety and and but it it all involves the same thing which is checking in with your five senses um checking in with what thoughts happen to be entering your mind right like noticing yeah. yeah the physiological sensations um Noticing your surroundings, um, especially with anxiety, something like simple, like color scanning. So picking a color and then noticing every blue thing in your surroundings and then do it again with a different color or noticing all of the sounds, just anything that's going to bring you into the moment um, that involves awareness of sensory data, if that makes sense. Now that's fantastic. That yeah, that's a really good tip. I think so. Anything that kind of anchors you into the moment is is going to be helpful. Exactly, anchors is a good word. It's yeah, it's that the grounding sensation of like yeah, this is where I am right now. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you. And um, moving on to to meditation, um, can you recommend um, a, a type of meditation that's particularly helpful for people with anxiety? Um, sure. I think any that's that any meditation that you're willing to do is probably the best yeah. one to, <laughs> to start with. Uh, but yeah. I think that especially with anxiety, because it's 
often such a physiological experience with the racing heart and the shortness of breath and the physiological tension, um, a mindfulness of the breath or like a, a breathing meditation is a really useful starting point. Um, it, there's also the, the science behind deep breathing, which I also think is one of those um, kind of trends that has the trendiness has backfired on it because people are I've literally have people come in and I'll say let's take some deep breaths and they're like oh no I don't do that that doesn't help me <laughs> it's like okay well <laughs> let's, let's yeah. try it <laughs> you know this is it's literally your breath is the only um like automatic biological process that we can bring under our conscious control which is really pretty remarkable that, you know, when you inhale, your heart rate increases. And when you exhale, your heart rate decreases. So when mm. you're getting in touch with your breathing, and you're doing it from that deep diaphragmatic, you know, belly, deep belly breathing place, you're alerting, not alerting, but you're, you're triggering your nervous system, your, your parasympathetic nervous system to kick in and like take you out of that fight or flight. So if yes. someone's yeah. experiencing anxiety, they're in fight or flight. So what can they do to get themselves out of it? And um, so so the breathing meditation is a good place to start. Um, another one would be the uh, like any body scan meditation. So yes. any guidance that takes you through all of the sensations that you could observe from head to toe, or I guess from toe to head, if you want. Um, at, at, gets you out of your head. And I really recommend, like whenever I guide somebody through meditation and in therapy, um, to really have one where the, whoever's, you know, the guiding voice really reminds you constantly to notice if you're distracted, notice if you've gotten into, gotten lost in thoughts and, and bring yourself back to the sensations in your legs or the, whatever, part you're on. Um, because I think that the problem a lot of people run into is that they'll have the recording playing and they're just kind of lost in their thoughts. And, and you do need a constant reminder to just kind of like gently guide yourself back to the present moment, gently guide yourself back to the sound of yes. my voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that happens to me a lot when I'm meditating, I won't lie. Um, but me too. I think, <laughs> and I think something else that I used to do a lot, and I try, try my best to, to not do this these days. But that is like, when I do kind of catch myself having, uh, having drifted off into a daydream or into my thoughts or whatever, is to then kind of get annoyed with myself for having kind of drifted off into in, 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 into not following the meditation because obviously when you get annoyed with yourself it's like not only have you not followed the meditation but then you've got angry with yourself as well which is kind of like obviously like doubly unhelpful so to try and if you try to remain calm and and uh, okay about the fact that you've kind of lost your concentration uh, and just gently bring your focus back onto the object of your of your focus that is obviously going to be much more helpful for you in the in the long run yeah, and I think it helps to 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 uh, frame it as a muscle that you're mm. building. That yeah. sometimes sometimes it does. It takes practice. The more you do it, the stronger it gets. So, and and that everyone has off days. So some days you might have to guide yourself back to your focus. You know, 
30 times in the span of two minutes and other other days you might sort of <laughs> that's my that's my meditation <laughs> that's, that's me sometimes when i have a lot on yeah. my mind when i'm stressed yeah. when i'm distracted and and that's so natural i think it helps to remember that like this is just how our minds naturally work is that they're kind of constantly looking for like the next thing or latching on to something and and to bring ourselves back takes effort so absolutely yeah yeah, no, for, for me, it's like some days it goes super well and I'm happy and I'm focused and, I, and I'm feeling that the sensation of being relaxed. But I have to remind myself, oh, hang on, that's not my object here. The object is just to pay attention to the breath. And every mm -hmm. time I do find myself distracted, bring it back. And that's OK. Um, and it's if relaxation. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. It is hard. Because initially you have this idea that meditation is about relaxation. And obviously it's not at all. Um, mm -hmm it's a pleasant uh, side effect sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not easy to learn meditation, but it's, it's so, so beneficial for, mm -hmm. for mental health problems. I think it's, uh, yeah. yeah. I agree. And I think that it's also with meditation and with acceptance, it's hard to detach from that expectation that like, if I do this, I'll be more relaxed, even though typically that is what happens. I know I'm a more flexible, somewhat, I'm still not a calm person, I wouldn't say, but you know, I'm, I'm calmer than I was before I did any of this stuff. But you can't go into it expecting that outcome, expecting that. And it's hard for me as a therapist to, to like, I have to sometimes hold myself back from expressing excitement or being like, that's great when somebody is mindfully work moving their way through let's say an experience of anxiety and they're like yeah and it went away really quickly because it's like well sometimes it doesn't go away quickly and I, I don't want to reinforce this expectation that if I accept it it'll go away quickly <laughs> yes so, yeah um, it, it's yeah it's tricky <laughs> there's a bit of a paradox there no like you uh, obviously you don't want to experience that anxiety you don't want to experience OCD but if you uh, if you really hold on to that and say no, I don't want to have it and, and push it away, then you're probably going to get more of it. So exactly. it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so tricky. Uh, another question: Formal meditation is is great um, uh, if you have the time. By formal meditation, I mean sitting, you know, twenty or thirty minutes, maybe in the morning and maybe in the evening as well. Um, that's fine if you have the time, but for for obviously a lot of us, that's really difficult. So how can people incorporate meditation into their day to help them with anxiety if they don't have time to sit formally? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and it's something I think whether you, whether it's because you don't have the time or whether it's because it just feels too daunting and overwhelming for you to sit with a formal meditation practice. I like to start with those activities that you're already doing every day. So like I, I said earlier, the brushing your teeth or the taking a shower, um, eating a snack or eating a meal, or when you're drinking your morning coffee or tea, that's, those are all great times to just focus in on what's happening in the now, yeah. focus in on the sensations. And I, I, I name those particular uh, I guess, events of the day, because they do all involve like multi-sensory experience. And so it's an easy access point, as opposed to maybe you're just like sitting in a meeting, you can do mindfulness in there as well. But 
there's not as much, I guess, to kind of latch on to when you're first practicing as, as in these other, you know, when there's tastes and there's textures and there's smells yeah, to sure. kind of go along with the yeah. experience. Okay. Um, yeah. So building it into your day. I don't think that time is, is a, a barrier because if you're present in your day, you're present in whatever you're doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, for, for people, I, I mean, I get a lot of questions from people who are suffering with panic and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Can mindfulness be helpful for people who, who experience panic? Yes, absolutely. It can be helpful for panic attack uh, sufferers. The one way that it's useful is just getting more awareness of the physiological changes and sensations that might be happening. Like people can kind of learn how to pick up on those that might indicate, oh, this is the beginning of a panic attack or this is panic feelings happening right now. Um, the sooner you notice that those sensations are arising, the sooner you can engage in the coping, like whether it's something grounding and anchoring, the color scanning or something, you know, counting the ceiling tiles or the slow, deep breaths, definitely slow, deep breaths, because again, you can kind of, I don't want to say nip it in the bud. Like I, I don't want to uh, imply that you can stop a panic attack, but yeah. you kind of, I guess, like soothe yourself through it mm. rather just yeah. by being aware of, okay, here's what's happening right now. And I'm going to be extra attentive to uh, like kind of turning on my relaxation response and um, the other thing would be to get some other sensory data that's happening in the present moment. So perhaps I'm aware that my heart is beating very quickly and my palms are getting kind of sweaty and my face is feeling flushed and I'm aware of those physiological sensations. And then I can bring my awareness to wiggling my toes in my shoes and noticing those sensations or... Um, going through some type of, of temperature change, temperature change, <laughs> apologies. Um, a lot of times people get warmer when they're more anxious. So mm. anything you can do that's cold, whether it's splashing cold water on your face or sipping a cold glass of water and noticing those sensations can sort of, uh, not counteract the panic feelings because as we know, you have to let them peak and then subside, but stop you from trying to uh, struggle against them as much. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, something then, I like to... Go on, carry on. I just wanted to add something to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. If that's okay. Absolutely. So, and then, okay. <laughs> um, with any situation that you're anything you're feeling that you're like not enjoying a lot of times what happens is we fixate on that experience so like when I'm feeling panic I'm focused only on my panic because I hate it so much and I so don't want it to be there but in any given moment there's a million different things happening so the feeling of panic is only one of any number of things that are also happening right now. So with mindfulness, you can also then 
expand your awareness to include, yes, I'm feeling panic and also my shoes are blue and also, you know, I'm, I'm feeling my hands against my legs and also, you know, like just sort of starting to like name and identify all of the other things that are happening right now because, you know, our, our minds sort of hone in on one thing as like the most relevant or the most important thing that to, you know, take our attention in a given moment, but it doesn't have to be the most relevant thing. We decide that it is. So like we can then step back and say, okay, yeah, that's one thing that's happening. And here's some other things that are happening. And I'm going to focus my attention on those things. Really interesting. So expanding your kind of consciousness to, to take in other things, to kind of take your main focus away from the thing that you, you, you don't want to have your focus on or that you're trying to push away the anxiety exactly. and the, the stress, the panic. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, if you, if you're someone you don't like getting, you don't like needles, you don't like getting your blood drawn, then mm. when you're in there, focus on your breathing, you focus on the, the rest of the room, you're not focused on staring at the needle in your arm and, and only focusing on that, because that's just going to intensify it. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. cancel it out. It doesn't get rid of like you're not forget you don't forget that there's a needle in your arm, but it it takes the edge off a little because you've in, now included all of these other pieces. Yeah. Of it, right? So you're you're still accept, like, accepting the fact that there's there's a needle going into your arm because obviously like you can't change that and you have to ex- accept that as one of the experiences that you're having right now. But at the same time, you're also having a whole load of other experiences, and if you exactly. can pay attention to those then actually that will help you through that difficult experience. Exactly. It doesn't cancel mm. out the feelings you might have about the needle, but it, it, it makes it a little more tolerable because it's now not the only thing that's happening right now. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, what do you think about values and uh, goal setting? Because obviously I, I, I like to look at things from an act perspective and uh, values and goals are a huge part of that. Um, how would you like to, to work with, with values? Is that something that's important to, to you and the work you do with your clients? Definitely. I, it's, it's huge. I think that act or mindfulness and acceptance and values really go hand in hand. Um, mm. that I, with everyone I work with, whether they're coming in with anxiety or not, there's always some attention to what are your values? What are your priorities? what's important to you in life and who do you want to be? Because often when we're focused on controlling what we're feeling inside or avoiding certain inner experiences, we're not really doing things. We're getting in our own way and preventing ourselves from focusing on what does matter to us. So um, when you learn to, better tolerate the things that you can't control you have all this energy freed up for the things that you can control and what you can control is like how you behave how you act so how do you want to act let's you know identify the type of person you want to be the type of things you want to be doing your your goals in life and then break it down into very concrete action steps that can help you get there that you don't have to wait until some metaphorical future time when you're no longer plagued by anxiety, let's say, or you no longer have chronic pain, which I mean, unfortunately, for some reason, for some people is just not going to happen. You can start living that life today. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And um, 
Could you like talk us through quickly the difference between uh, values and, and goals? Because there's a big difference between the two. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that so values I like to describe as um, like the roadmap for your life. So they're not they're not destinations. You're on the path that is your value. So maybe it's honesty is a value, let's say. And so it's not like you've ever arrived there and then you're done. Like, okay, yeah. now I'm yeah. honest and I'm <laughs> that's it. I've just achieved it. It's, it's one of those things that Ticked you're making off. constant. Yeah. Yep. I'm there. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like it, it's more one of those those qualities that you're kind of you're emulating constantly in your everyday life and every little decision that you make, you're using it as a guiding uh, like path to, this is the path for you. Um, goals are achievable. Goals are the things you check off the list and then you're done yeah. and yeah. on to the next. So, um, I encourage people to set goals that are in alignment with their values. So, so your values should shape the types of goals that you set. If somebody values, let's say, uh, friendship, then what are some goals they, that you can set that align with, being the type of friend you want to be. Perhaps it's that you are reaching out and engaging with whatever friend X times a week, or that it's you're, you're calling up that friend who doesn't live near you anymore once a month to catch up, or anything yeah. that is in alignment with the way you want to be. And that's where I, why I think a lot of goals, people don't achieve them, is that they're not really shaped by their values. So if someone yes. maybe yeah, like if you have a goal to run a marathon, but you don't really value like the health of or the maybe that's a bad example. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a good example right now. If your if your goal is something that has nothing to do with what is important to you or the person you want to be, then maybe it's a goal that is comes from like someone else that someone else taught you you should want this thing but you don't really want it yes yeah 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 like make <laughs> like make like, like making money for the sake of of, of money instead of right. you know, like you know kind of instead of having a job that that is that you really care about and that you really want to do and is in line with your values it's like exactly i had a client uh recently who was uh stuck on he wanted to get this promotion he, he had to get this promotion by this certain date at, at work and I said you know what happens if you don't and we dug into it and he was really like I guess I just thought it was the thing to do the, that this was just what I needed to achieve this is what I needed to strive towards because really yeah. I don't care that much about it like it's just that it would come with maybe some glory some prestige which is nice, but is that really going to be fulfilling to you in the end? And for some people it is, but you have to ask yourself that question. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. More holistic practices such as exercise and nutrition can help with anxiety. What do you think about that? Um, I would agree with that. I think that, I mean, we know that exercise has a whole host of benefits there's a ton of evidence on right not just the obvious of like that those feel-good chemicals that are released in in the brain and the body when we move our bodies but also the benefits of being outdoors I know you know 
a lot about that and yeah, the yeah. benefits of, of being in, in nature. There's also the sense of community and connection. If you're you're moving, you know, in a, if you're in a group setting or you're playing sports or you're with friends, um, it helps with energy. It helps you self-regulate. It helps with your sleep. There's it's a great habit to build. Um, I would offer the caveat uh, just because of I've, I've seen it kind of take a turn uh, backfire, if you will. It, with, and, the um, with the addiction work mm -hmm. that you've done, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. With the addiction and the disordered eating mm. I, I, or or even just kind of compulsive exercise. I, I think there is potential for especially somebody who's prone to fixating or obsessing or kind of perfectionistic to then turn exercise into something that they're they're overly dependent on or that sort of becomes a vehicle for their obsession um and that's that defeats the purpose of it so if you can have a, a peaceful relationship with exercise i think it's great but I, it's important to engage mindfully and, and be aware of when maybe you're turning to it or you feel like you need it. You should never feel like that's your only option for managing anxiety. Like there needs to be many tools in your toolkit and to rely on a variety of different strategies and not just on one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. And then with nutrition, I, I would say, I mean, that's not really my expertise, so I, I can't speak, uh, intelligently in depth about the impact of all of the the micronutrients and macronutrients and all of that but there are some connections I know that in the literature um I think just again overall like uh, same with exercise if, if you're having a peaceful relationship you're honoring your hunger and your fullness cues because you can get more anxious if you're not sufficiently feeding yourself and you're not getting enough variety of food and maybe you're deficient in something um and then I think caffeine is a big piece that people don't really think about a lot that really affects anxiety. So Absolutely, it does. Yeah, yeah it really does. Like yep. People don't realize, oh, I have these giant coffees multiple times a day, and that might be connected to some of my anxiety symptoms. But well, hey, yeah, in, in the States in particular, because you guys have these oh, yeah. ridiculously enormous like, coffees. They're, and, uh... It's insane. They're like 24 <laughs> ounces sometimes. And it's like, that is so much caffeine. No wonder your heart's beating out of your chest. Like, <laughs> no wonder you're like so keyed up all the time. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, th these days I stick to one coffee in the morning and, and, and that's it. I used to have two or three, but I, I really noticed over time. And also like the sugar, like having putting that sugar in with your morning coffee as well, that has a knock on effect as well. It really does. Mm -hmm. So I th yeah. think everyone's different, though, too, with that. <clears throat> so really just being aware of like how you feel after mm. a giant coffee. I know like my husband can drink coffee all day long and never get any I mean, it keeps him awake, but he doesn't get anxious, whereas someone else might really be feeling it. So, yeah, just paying attention in yourself. Yeah, if you have an anxiety disorder and uh, you drink a lot of coffee, then it may be worth worth looking at. Yeah. Right. Maybe you don't even have an anxiety disorder. Maybe you just uh, are drinking too much caffeine. And if you slow that down, maybe that's all you need. Yeah, to do. absolutely. Um, OK, final question. Um, learning to live with uncertainty is a really big part of uh, managing anxiety disorders. Um, do you have any tips for, for learning to live with uncertainty? 
Great question. I It's something I work on in myself every day. Yeah, the whole basis of anxiety is around uncertainty and wanting to create certainty or not being able to tolerate where there is no certainty. Um, and I think that the, the first step in the right direction, you could say, is becoming aware that that's what's going on and becoming aware that you're fighting against it. So recognizing when I'm maybe obsessively researching on the internet about, let's say, I don't know, like pregnancy problems and I'm not even pregnant yet and I'm trying to solve my fear of something that may or may not happen in the future, that's me searching to create certainty. And so being aware of like, when am I struggling against something that simply is not in my control, which as we know are what thoughts pop into your mind, what feelings arise in your body, what other people, anything to do with other people, what they think, what they feel, what they say, what they do, right? Um, what yeah. happens in the future, right? Like, so basically if you're trying to control anything that isn't your own behavior in the moment, you're wasting your energy. And then that would be a signal to come back to the now, recognize that you're fighting against it and you're not changing it and put your energy elsewhere, whether your energy it's, is, yeah. yeah. It is so true. I mean, like not not only are you wasting your energy, but uh, you're potentially causing yourself a lot of problems, no? By by mm -hmm. trying to control things that are not in your control. Mm -hmm. And I think that you end up missing out on the now, like because so often it is future focused. It is, you know, what about this hypothetical thing that may or may not happen in a few weeks or a few months or a few years, and. Meanwhile, life is happening right now. It's all around you and what's going on in your day to day. So that's where I think mindfulness really comes in importantly is to then come back to, yes, and where am I right now? And what am I doing right now? And who am I with? Because you don't, I mean, it would be so sad to look back on your life and realize you spent it worried about things that never even happened or that did happen, but that you couldn't control anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so true, so true. Okay, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Paula, for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. I, these are my favorite things to talk about, so I'm happy to do it. Okay, many thanks. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.